Hey, good morning again, everybody. <laughs> so uh, we're continuing our series called uh, Renew, which as you know, is about renewing uh, our, our minds. And last Sunday, if you remember, Pastor Paul shared about renewing our view of ourself, right? Because, because as Christians, when we are in Christ, the Lord's given us a new identity, right? We are a new creation. We are adopted as a child of God. We are heirs of the Most High King. We are a redeemed and forgiven people. That's the truth. And yet, we still struggle, right? We still struggle with pride. We still struggle with guilt. We still struggle with unworthiness or condemnation. And we need to take those thoughts captive. And it is a process of renewal. And so Pastor Paul was encouraging us about that. Uh, the gospel renews our view of ourself. Uh, if, you, if you missed it, you can catch that message on our website. But today is about renewing how I view other people. The thoughts that are running through my head when I think about other people. And some of those thoughts are toxic and they are destructive to us and we also need to capture uh, those kinds of thoughts. And we're gonna deal specifically today though with, with a very specific mental stronghold that all of us at one level or another or at one time or another have to deal with and that probably keeps us as Christians trapped more than any other mental stronghold. And it is the stronghold of offense. So what what is the mental stronghold of offense? Simply it's this, if, if somebody treats me unfairly, if someone sins against me in one way uh, or another, and it could be a real sin or it could be I just perceived it as sin, right? But, but it feels the same uh, either way. And when that happens, the natural human thing is that we develop a feelings of resentment towards that person, feelings of anger towards that person. And if those thoughts are not captured, then what happens is I think about it, I rehearse it over and over. When I'm taking a shower, I'm thinking about these, this thing. And what happens then is it crystallizes into a stronghold of offense. About 20 years ago, John Bevere wrote uh, a book called The Bait of Satan, uh, Getting Free from the Trap of Offense. Still in print, in fact, we carry it uh, in our bookstore. Millions of copies of this book uh, have been sold and read and millions of people have been set free by the challenge that is within it. And I, and I believe today, because I'm one of those people, I believe today, uh, through the Holy Spirit, God is going to set many of us sitting here today uh, free from that and set us on the path 
to freedom. Because offense, whether we realize it or not, whether we even know that we're harboring it, really is a stronghold. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs puts it this way in chapter 18, verse 19. It says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. It's saying when, when, when I harbor offense, I throw up walls around myself that keep others out, but they also keep me imprisoned within them. And once it takes root, it is a stronghold extremely difficult in the natural, in the flesh, to overcome. The good news, though, is what we've been talking about, is that God can, through his power, through the fresh winds of the Holy Spirit, can help us overcome that stronghold. Second Corinthians chapter 10, we've, we've looked at this verse during the series. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So God has given you, he has given me divine weapons and divine power to defeat the stronghold of offense. And we are going to discover what those are here today. And if we will walk humbly in them, we can be set free to be used by God. But first, let's just ask this question. Why, why is offense so dangerous to our soul? Why is it so uh, dangerous to our lives? And I, I wanna just suggest a few things. These aren't in your notes if you have the app up or if you have the hard copy, but you might wanna jot some of these down. Why is offense so dangerous? Here's one reason. In Ephesians 4.26, the Bible says that unresolved anger Unresolved anger gives the devil a foothold in your life. It gives him ground from which to attack you. Some of us here today, you are experiencing oppression of the enemy, uh, unrelenting accusation and condemnation, unrelenting temptation. And what the Lord may be saying to you today is that you won't be free of that oppression until you deal with the issue of unresolved anger. And God will set you free from that oppression, that ground that the enemy has if we will repent of the sin of offense and get free from it. Here, here's another reason why offense is so dangerous. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says that a root of bitterness, that's another way of talking about the trap of offense, a root of bitterness, when it springs up, it says it defiles many, okay? So we often chop the root off at the surface, but the root is still there. It keeps springing up and it says it defiles many. In other words, left untreated, bitterness, 
offense, unresolved anger, doesn't just affect our own spirit. It tears apart marriages. It tears apart families. It tears apart churches. And it tears apart whole nations. Do you remember uh, the story in the Old Testament where one of David's sons took advantage of his half-sister Tamar, who he was in love with. And uh, Tamar's full brother, Absalom, took great offense at this sin against his sister. And David did not take proper action to address the grievance and the sin. And so Absalom harbored bitterness and anger towards his father and also towards his half-brother. And this undealt with anger resulted in rebellion and murder and civil war in the nation of Israel, a root of bitterness that sprung up to defile many. The same thing happens to us in our families, our churches, even our nation. Here's a third reason why offense is so dangerous, is that it inhibits God from using you and me in the way that he wants to. If you remember also in the Old Testament, David was in the service of King Saul as a young man, and Saul was jealous uh, of David. Uh, Saul was also oppressed by an evil spirit and he sought to kill David, even though David had done nothing but good to him. Saul sought to kill him. And I want you, and if you read the story of David's interaction with Saul, David refused to retaliate against Saul. He refused to curse Saul. In fact, when Saul died, he grieved and mourned for Saul. David never let bitterness and anger and resentment fill his heart against Saul. If David had been trapped in offense, God's purpose for him would have been denied. Here's a fourth reason why bitterness is so dangerous in our lives. And this comes more from scientific observation, and I would say pastoral observation, is that unresolved anger, unforgiveness, and offense leads to depression, clinical depression. It's not all depression is the source uh, is caused by unresolved anger. But if I have unresolved anger, one of the ways it will manifest in my life is in depression. And I can't be free of it until I get free of the trap of offense. And so that's why we need to deal with it. We need to win this war in our mind. And to win the war in our mind, as we've been talking about with the replacement principle, we need, to take, we need to identify the lie and replace it with the truth. So what thoughts need to be captured in order to, to defeat the stronghold of offense? And I wanna share two of them with you today. Here's the first thought that we need to capture. I have a right to withhold forgiveness. Sometimes we don't always say it just that way. We might say it in our mind, I have a right to be offended. I have a right to be angry. I have a right 
uh, to my bitterness? Do you know what they did to me? I have every right to feel the way that I feel. I have a right to withhold forgiveness. And it almost sounds right when we say it because we have an internal sense of justice that needs that needs fulfilled. But the fact that it almost sounds right is, is what makes it so uh, deceptive because here's the truth and we could have picked many verses in scripture. Here's a simple one, Ephesians 4.32. A command to us as believers, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think here's where our deception comes in. Hatred, we don't see hatred, anger, bitterness, and lack of forgiveness as a sin. We don't see it as a sin. We see it as a natural human reaction that I have a right to harbor. But we don't see it as sin. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he said, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry at your brother and curse him, Jesus says, you are in danger of hell. In other words, to harbor anger and bitterness towards my brother and to talk about him in a negative way is also a sin, just like murder is a sin, but we don't see it, we often don't see it that way and we deceive ourselves by saying I have a right to harbor it because of what they did uh, to me. I think one reason we, f we feel that we have a right and I think it needs clarified is because we misunderstand what the command to forgive means. For instance, we may feel that forgiveness means I have to reconcile. It does not necessarily mean that because reconciliation requires repentance on the part of the other person. So if, so it, I can forgive and not necessarily reconcile because I'm not able to because the other person is unwilling. We may think that to forgive is to be, is, is permissiveness. It's to allow bad conduct to continue. But I can forgive and set boundaries against bad conduct, okay? Those are not mutually exclusive things. We may think to forgive a person is, is, is to say that what they did is no big deal and it's okay. And that is not what forgiveness is doing. In fact, forgiveness is recognizing the offense that has occurred. Forgiveness, scripturally speaking, is to acknowledge that a sin was committed and then to release the offense to God and to say that person no longer uh, owes me. And it is only the gospel that enables that sort of renewal of our mind. When it says in, uh, that we read Ephesians 4, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. It is only the renewal of the mind in the gospel that we have been forgiven that allows us to take on this new thought process that we cannot have in the flesh and in the world in which we are, we are dominated by feelings of anger and hatred. Here is the second thought we need to capture to destroy the stronghold of offense. It's similar to it, but a little different. And it's that I have a right 
to get even. The person who hurt me must be punished and pay uh, a price for what happened. But here is the truth. Listen to Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I remember reading that and thinking, man, heaping burning coals on, on his head, like that sounds like revenge <laughs> to do that, you know? But, but it is a reference, the burning coals are a reference to shame. It's a reference that your goodness towards the person who hurts you can, can lead them to repentance. If you will repay evil with good, it can lead them to repentance. See, one of the lies that keeps me trapped is that I can't let go of it because the, they, need, they need to pay a price for what happened. And we may not say it in just those words because we're nice Christians. And so we don't say it quite that explicitly, but it seeps out in passive aggressive ways, right? It's because I, I, I continue to give a cold shoulder. I make, there's snide remarks, there's, there's needling, there's little comments that hurt. It's, it's a passive aggressive way of saying, you still need punished for what you said, for what you did. And we must capture that thinking and replace it with the truth. By releasing these rights, the right, the supposed right of unforgiveness and the right of, 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 of getting even, by releasing those rights, I become free in my mind. It's sort of like the monkey with his fist in the jar. Have, have you heard of that uh, story? It's an old way of capturing monkeys where they would put a banana or something that the monkey wanted in, into the jar, but the hole in the jar is big enough for the hand to go through, but once a fist is made, the hole is too small, and so the monkey cannot get his uh, hand out of the jar when he has made a fist to grab onto what he wants in the jar. And so he just sits there uh, with it because he cannot let go. He cannot let go of the banana that is in the jar, and so he is uh, trapped, and we are like that too when we are holding on to unforgiveness. We're holding on to our right of punishment and we are trapped, but if we will release it, we can get our hand out. And so as I begin to renew my mind in these two ways, I am now ready to break the stronghold. And what is so hard in the flesh, God can deliver us from if we will humbly walk in these four steps that I wanna share with you quickly, right? Here are the four steps. Once my mind is renewed with those two thoughts, now I can put into practice these four steps. Here's the first one. The first one, very simply, is to admit that I am offended. Because in our pride, we oftentimes don't even want to admit that we are harboring 
offense. We think I'm over it. It was a long time ago. I even, you know, it's, it's immature even for me to think or to have those thoughts. And so we sort of don't even want to ad- admit it. But what today, just in our heart and in our mind, you just whisper this question. God, am I offended? Am I harboring offense somewhere? I want free from it. And as you let the Holy Spirit answer that question, allow me to suggest a few things. It is often those closest to us, even our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, from which offenses most easily arise. And the reason is because we have our highest expectations of those people, our fellow Christians or people close to us in our life. I remember John Bevere in his book explained this in this way. He said, he said many times uh, people will say to me, people, people in the world treat me better than people in the church. <laughs> and he said, here's the reason why we often uh, feel that way is because we have very low expectations of people in the world. So if they do even the slightest good thing, they've exceeded our expectation, even though it's down here. But our, uh, our, our fellow Christians, uh, our, our family members, uh, our, our pastor, you know, maybe we have, a, we have a higher expectation and ought to have a higher expectation up here. But when they don't meet that expectation, see the big gap that has occurred. And it is when this gap occurs, then the defense is enabled to take root. Okay. Maybe, uh, maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe a parent, a mother, or a father. Maybe they were caught in addiction or there was divorce. There were harsh uh, words for one reason or another or you felt they were not there for you when you needed it and offense has been harbored ever since. And I want to say this about the parent-child relationship. Regardless of what our parents were able or not able to do for us, they, they, we must, the Bible says we must honor, we must honor the position that they hold in our life, right? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Proverbs 20, 20 says that if a person curses their mother or father, it says their lamp will be snuffed out in utter darkness. And so I want to urge as strongly as I can that this root of offense against mother or father must be dealt with. It is, it is spiritually a, a, a serious matter and we must be freed. It could be offense among extended family or among siblings. This certainly is common to the human experience. 
from the very beginning. You remember Cain and Abel. You remember Joseph and uh, his, his brothers. It could be a fellow church member, elder, pastor. Maybe it's a boss that you don't think treats you right, right, or takes credit for what you did or doesn't appreciate you, but you must get free so that you can do your work as unto the Lord and bless them and take the stress off of them. It, it, it is not right how we are hypercritical of those who supervise us in the workplace and we take great offense which does not enable us to be a witness for the Lord. Remember David's attitude towards Saul and I doubt your boss is trying to kill you like Saul was trying to kill David, okay? We must, we must, we must get rid of that. So admit that I am offended. Do the heart search, God am I offended? Number two. Number two is to then pray for the person who has offended me. Jesus told us to do exactly that, Matthew 5, He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Put them on your prayer list to pray for every day. And you may not feel it at first. In fact, you will not feel it at first, but you gotta fake it till you make it. <laughs> we, say, we say, if I don't feel it, then I can't do it, but it's not true. Do it and then you start to feel it as God heals your heart. Pray for their family, pray for their success, pray for God's favor, pray for God's blessing and protection, healing uh, over them. God's presence in their life, intimacy in their life. Whatever you would ask for yourself, ask for them. And then as you do that, and here's number three, as you pray for them in this way, then declare forgiveness from the heart. Declare it. <laughs> Perhaps the, uh, the most powerful section in all of the Bible on forgiveness is Matthew chapter 18. And it, it begins this way with a question from Peter. Peter. Peter, it says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he gives a suggestion, like as many as seven times perhaps. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, unlimited, unlimited should you offer forgiveness? And then he tells one of the most powerful parables in the Bible. He tells the parable of the two debtors. Do you remember that parable? The uh, one guy owes a million bucks, he can't pay it, he goes to his creditor, he begs forgiveness, and the creditor erases the debt, and then on his way out of the office building, he sees a guy who owes him 50 bucks, and he takes him by the throat, and he says, give me my 50 bucks. The man says, I don't have it right now, give me a little time, I'll get it to you. He says, you've had enough time, and he has him thrown into a debtor's prison, and when the creditor who forgave the million hears about the story. He's like, I can't believe it. The guy forgiven a million bucks is going after his friend for 50? How could this be true? And he, and he, he, he punishes that man. And Jesus says, this is, this is how it is with you. When you do not forgive your brother, 
because we've been forgiven the million bucks and we go after one another for the 50 that they owe us. So we declare forgiveness from the heart, casting our burden on the Lord, putting it in his hands, releasing it and declaring that they owe nothing to us. Whether or not I feel it, I declare it by faith and obedience. And here's the last thing. Number four is that we then pursue reconciliation when it's appropriate, when it's appropriate. Jesus told us the reconciliation ought to be our highest priority. It says in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, you're in church worshiping, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there at the altar and, and, and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is of even higher priority than worship. And let me just say a few things on this matter of reconciliation. There are two possible instances. The one is in the context here of Matthew 5. If I have offended another, how do I go about the process of reconciliation. If I've offended another and you know what it is that you have done, then it's fairly simple. We go to the person, we ask forgiveness for what I've done. Those words are so powerful. When you speak them or when another speaks them, when you say, I wronged you in what I said or did, would you forgive me? It is spiritually powerful, and we so rarely say it, so rarely do it. There may be an instance in which we know there is distance between us and a family member, distance between us and a fellow believer. We know there's distance, but we don't really know the reason why. And in those instances, uh, we can just start there. We can just say, look, I know there's distance between us and I just want to give you permission to speak freely about it with me. And we don't go in needing in any way to defend ourselves, but we only go to listen and to understand. And if in the course of that conversation, we realize that we have sinned against this person, then we can simply say, you're right. Would you forgive me for it? There could be the occasion in which I do not agree with what they are saying. And if there's truly misunderstanding, then that can certainly be corrected. But in most cases, I can simply say, because I'm not going into I, I, to quarrel in any way, I'm not going in to defend myself, the person is hurt by what I said or did or what they perceived I said or did, and I can simply say, well, I, I respect your views, and I will search my heart about that matter, and I am truly sorry for hurting you. And I wanna say, 
for those that are in any sort of responsibility for others. For instance, if you are a mother or a parent, if you are a boss, uh, church leaders, I believe we have an obligation to take initiative in this way because you know how difficult it is for a child to come to a parent and say that you hurt me or for an employee to go to their boss and say, I'm offended by what you said. I was hurt in that meeting. <laughs> it's so hard to do that. Uh, and so I believe if we're in those positions, we have an obligation in the Lord to take initiative and to, and to, and to ask and inquire about it. One final thought on reconciliation. What if I, I am the one harboring offense? I haven't sinned against another. I've been sinned against and I'm harboring offense. How do we approach reconciliation? And the first thing is we must do the first three steps first of prayer and forgiveness. Otherwise, I go in to any type of meeting with anger which will be counterproductive because we're going in to reconcile, not to condemn. So I must deal with my own heart first. And then I go in with a humble attitude, knowing that I also am a sinner that hurts people too. And I talk about my feelings from a position of gentleness and meekness. And, and when usually when we go in in that manner, the other person is enabled by the Spirit of God to respond humbly also, and reconciliation is achieved. On occasion, not, but you have done all that you can do to live at peace, and you have a clear conscience, one that is free of offense. Now, in some situations, we know that reconciliation is not possible nor appropriate. If someone is, and we must recognize it, there are some people in this world that are evil, that are wicked, abusers, and reconciliation is not going to be on the table. And so it is not appropriate to sit down in such a manner uh, as this. So we need discernment, we need counsel, we need help in severe situations like that. But in most of our day-to-day -day interactions, those two things we just mentioned, uh, God brings healing to our lives as we walk inside of that. We're going to close the service uh, today with uh, communal prayer together on this matter <laughs> because we want to do business with the Lord while the Spirit of God is present, while he has uh, touched us and he's speaking to us. We must do business now. We must do business immediately with God on this issue. And then we're going to, uh, you'll be invited to take communion together as a church family. Um, and we remember that it is the gospel that renews our thinking towards ourself and also the gospel that renews our thinking uh, toward others. And so as you take 
the bread and the cup. You can be saying, Lord, I am a sinner who has been granted forgiveness and is now a new creation. And that enables me to extend that to my brother and sister. If you're, if you're new here and you're a believer in Jesus, you're invited uh, to take communion. Um, we have um, uh, can, bread and juice that is in the self-contained containers that are in the back. If, if you choose that, you can also come forward where we have uh, the bread and the cup and you're invited to kneel around the altar uh, in the benches if you would like to and pray uh, with your family or you can take that to your seat uh, as well. Uh, but as we prepare our hearts for that, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the word of God which is like a sharp sword that cuts through uh, to bone and marrow. And we desire that sharpness of the word of God. And we pray that you would lay open our own heart before you. And we, we ask as authentically as we know how, God, where, where has offense taken root in me? Am I offended? And we give you permission to speak that word to us. And now we, we take that situation, we take it and we bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we begin to pray for this situation, for this person that you have brought to our attention. We begin to pray, Lord, we, 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 we think of them right now and we pray your blessing and favor over them. We, 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 we pray success in their life. We pray favor for them. We pray protection over them and over their family. We pray for, for closeness and intimacy with the living God towards them, that they would move towards you and experience joy and peace and blessing in their life, the anointing of God in their life. Thank you for enabling us to pray for them. And, then, and, and right now we declare forgiveness over that situation. They owe, us, they owe us nothing. I have been forgiven the million dollars and so I'm forgiving the $50. And, and, and I, I cast that burden that I have been bearing and I cast it upon the Lord. I give it to you and I release in Jesus' name the bitterness and offense that has captured me. I release it to you. I renew my mind. I capture those thoughts that have been running over and over and over. I capture them. And I say they're not your will for my life. I don't have a right to unforgiveness. I don't have a right to punish them. And so I release it in Jesus' name and you are setting me free. And Lord, I pray that you would give me opportunity and you would give me courage and you would give me wisdom to properly reconcile with this person if it's appropriate for me to do so. And I ask for your wisdom in that matter. And so Lord, we thank you 
for what you're doing in us and among us today. We thank you for it. And it's in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. And why don't we thank the Lord for the work that he's doing in our lives today. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. The altar is open. You come.